Hey girl, I'm your host Diana, and this is Our Space, the podcast where we talk about the health and well-being of Black women with Black women. So this is me, Diana from the future, here to let you know that at about minute 25 in today's episode, there is, you're going to hear some intro music, well, our normal intro music, and it's because we had some technical difficulties, both editing and when recording, and I had to cut out a chunk of space, a chunk of time in the in the interview. But all you are really missing is me telling a charming anecdote about living in Orlando and how downtown Orlando is low-key a food desert. But that is neither here nor there. So that is all you missed there. And toward the end of the episode, around the hour and eight minute mark, there's another place we're going to hear a bit of an inconsistency. But I didn't know exactly where to cut it to where it wouldn't completely confuse anyone I don't know so I left it in there you will absolutely hear it but it does not change the interview we had an amazing interview and I hope you all enjoy don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook join the conversation there leave me a message send me an email and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube enjoy Good morning, y'all, and welcome back to Our Space. I'm your host, Diana, and today I'm joined by a special guest, Kristen Wells-Lewis, the founder and CEO of Black to the Lab. Black to the Lab is an innovative solution to an ever-growing disparity. It bridges the gap of racial and gender inequity in STEM learning while also giving young minority girls something new to play with that they can actually identify with. Kristen Wells-Lewis is a Beaumont, Texas native and the 2015 Prairie View A&M University Student Humanitarian Award recipient. The award is one of the highest honors that the university bestows upon students and community members who display a passion for serving their communities and helping others. Kristen received both her bachelor's and master's degrees from the university. Her bachelor's degree is in science. Ooh, mm, see, that's why you gotta read what you wrote. Anyway, y'all know the vibes. We don't edit around here. <laughs> so Kristen received her bachelor's degree and her master's degree from PVMU. Her bachelor's degree is in chemistry with a biomedical concentration, and her master's degree is in community development, which she received in 2018. Thank you for being here. Of course, so I'm going to give you all a little background, as I do. I have an Instagram page that um, that I follow Kristen on, and it's our Change Our Outcomes Instagram. And because of the way that that Instagram has been carefully curated by yours truly, I get all sorts of like ads or other things related to black women honestly i have curated my feed to perfection because i want to use that page to follow and uplift black women and things going on in our community so one day i got an ad for something real cute it was a a chemistry set but the chemistry set allowed you to make lip gloss and i was like oh this cute this is for the girls but it's for the stem girls and i love that i am kind of a STEM girl myself. I have my bachelor's degree in exercise physiology, and I started off as a bio pre-med major. So I know kind of what it's like to be in a space where you don't always fit in. I went to a predominantly white university. You went to an HBCU. Shout out to the HBCUs. (laughs) Um, But when I saw this, I was like, who did this? Who made this really cool science kit? Because also I used to love science kits myself, but they were never, they were never giving me lip gloss and makeup to make. It was rocks so anyway <laughs> I was like I had to find her so I did I found her and I just reached out to her y'all know how I just love the cold email people and here we are so now I'm done rambling I'm gonna let her get into how we got here as far as what is black to the lab and what was the inspiration behind that 
First, thank you so much for having me. Um, I remember receiving your email and then I went to the podcast and I started listening to the podcast and got caught up in the podcast and then lost the email <laughs> that I was supposed to go back to. Um, so when you reached out again, I was like, oh my God, yes, this is her. Like I was going through all of my emails. I'm like, oh, I listened to the podcast. Like, where is it? I can't find it. Um, so I was so happy that you reached back out. Like, I love the work that you're doing. I think when I originally tuned into the podcast, it was, um, National Children's Book Week. And so, yes, yes. yes. So that was super cool. And that was something we're, we've been trying to curate a list of like black books that identify black girls in science. Um, which the love that. I am very surprised the amount of, um, other people that write books about black girls. And I think it's much appreciated, but sometimes I feel like, when other black authors don't have the budget to kind of amplify the work that they're doing, it kind of gets drowned out. So we've been working yeah. really hard to curate this list. So nonetheless, Good. I love that. That's how I got lost in the sauce. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. So I, I always share with people, it, it seems when you hear my bio and it's like, Oh, she majored in chemistry. Like this tracks, it makes sense. Like, okay, yeah. boom. Um, I really wish that the journey would have been like that. Just super boom, 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 boom. But God had other plans and none of the other plans on the journey. I regret, I feel like each step outside of the STEM space that brought me back to the STEM space is what allows me to make Black to the Lab so unique, so intentional, so purposeful, um, and then be really bold in that. So I originally went to college. I majored in biology, but I wanted to go to pharmacy school, but I wanted to do a four-year degree uh, yeah. just in case I changed my mind along the way um, and not do pre-pharmacy. And so along the way, of course, I did change my mind. I always share with people, uh, once I became a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, yeah. You're a Delta. We'll talk about that <laughs> offline. Go ahead. <laughs> So once I became a member of Dose Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated my freshman year, um, I started to get more involved. And I've always been a community type person. I've always been like boots on the ground and big on community service and impacting community. But I learned it in such a more in-depth way. Like I was able to really, really, really see what it's like to make change, to be impactful and to be intentional. And at the time, if we Fast forward back to what was happening in 2011 and 2012, like Big Pharma was under fire. There were a lot of things mm -hmm. that were happening that was unethical and we were really trying to change the landscape in the country. And I was learning more about what pharmacists actually do, because I do think that when you're younger, certain careers are glamorized and not that any of them are bad. But I think when you learn the truth about careers, mm -hmm. you get to decide if it's a true fit for you. So I know some mm -hmm. wonderful pharmacists um, and. And of course, the pharmaceutical industry is needed. Of course, they they just need to make some changes around how it affects underserved communities. Mm -hmm. um, and so as I was learning these different things, I was like, oh, my God, like, I don't want to be a part of this, but I do want to be a part of changing the landscape so that this does not have to be the climate of this country. And then after that, then ACA started to happen. It's just like all these different things that are happening um, around health equity. And I started to gear off of wanting to be a pharmacist. And I didn't have a direct career title just yet of what I wanted to do. I still wanted to help people. And uh, Delta kind of gave me that outlet to do it and to practice and to see like what parts of it I liked, what parts of it I love, how often it changed, like under each presidential administration and all of these different mm -hmm. things. And so... Mm -hmm. Once I graduated college, um, 
or I, as I like to tell people, once I crawled out of college. <laughs> crawled, baby, crawled. <laughs> At the end, because I, I still didn't have that that thing, like that name, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do next? And I met a recruiter from my pharmacy school that was introducing a public health program. And, you know, I shared what I was passionate about, the work that I was doing, and uh, the recruiter was like, this sounds like public health. And I learned more about public health, got into a public health graduate program. And I loved being in my public health graduate program. There was just some missing components around public health. Like you mm -hmm. really can't do public health if you don't talk about funding, if you don't talk about how socioeconomic status affects different communities and placement and the people that are on the ground and those different things. And so I switched mm -hmm. to community development with a focus mm -hmm. on health equity and um, food security. And I loved it. Oh, my God. I was just like, where was this an undergrad? Each step along the way, it's like you have this academic world and then you have this real world. And so mm -hmm. I feel like in my graduate program, it is it, it, the worlds are slowly coming closer and closer together. So we're talking about health equity. We're talking about environmental justice and pollutants and what's happening in hair products and the carcinogens and all of these different mm -hmm. things. And it brought me back to organic chemistry when I was struggling. And one of my professors was just like, you can learn organic chemistry. All the uh, makeup and beauty products that you use, just look at the back of the products. And that is when the natural movement also took off. So people are creating their own natural hair products, mm -hmm. are creating herbal mm -hmm. teas and um, tonics and topical treatments that are safe for Black people. And I started to do the same. I started to formulate. For me, I have terrible allergies. And then I also have a, uh, a citrus allergy, which hmm. is prevalent in a lot of these homemade products. Yeah. So I started to formulate my own things. And then people kind of brought it back to me like, oh, my God, like it's chemistry. I had a lot of support. Um, the company at the time was called The Chemistry Of because we would break down each ingredient and highlight these different ingredients in these products that I was formulating. And once my company started to grow, I did like a rebrand. This was during the pandemic. And I was also working with youth development. And I thought to myself, like, I wish that I would have known this sooner. And it's one of those moments where it's like, you can, you know, drag about the fact that you didn't know it sooner. Oh my God, I wish school would have taught me this. Or you can do something about it. And so I thought, I want young girls to not feel like I felt in STEM. I want them to know that this is opportunity, this is available to them. And I want to basically reverse the ship and redirect my focus to not just formulating products, but creating a tool that allows young girls to get access to this sooner so they can start to explore this as a career. And essentially, that's how Black to the Lab was born. Um, so yeah, it wasn't just a, a, a one-way shot. God is very intentional and I honor that at every step. And that is why you are successful because you got honoring God's plans for you. But I think also so many people feel like, at least I know we went to college around the same time. So like when I went to college, when I was 18, I was going to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. I was going to do this. I was going to do that. And then I got there and it was hard. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's funny. <laughs> Y'all didn't tell me this part that it was going to be really hard. And not only was it hard, because I feel like I'm not afraid of a challenge, but it was one of those, the, the hardness of it made me reevaluate. Like, is this even something I care enough right. to struggle through? Right. It was funny that you're a chemistry major because I got the, I didn't, I didn't think I got the organic chemistry. I got the chemistry too. And I was like, 
my GPA ain't gonna survive, babe. You're not even getting into medical school, MCAT or not. You're not getting in. Your grades are trash. So I was. So it made me think like, mm, is this what I want to do? And long story short, I also feel like I've had the most interesting path. But along the way, I feel like I've gotten reassurance from God for my family that I'm walking in my purpose. Right. And even though the crap, the the path has been real rocky. I know I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I truly believe that you're where you're supposed to be too, because what you're doing is something that's so important. I wish I would have had something, like I said, like this, as much as I loved science as a kid. Um, well, I wasn't always a girly girl, but the older I got, cause I feel like even adults would love this. Um, I wish I would have had something like this or a role model like you, like, Hey, I started school and I changed my mind. I feel like I always try to be very transparent with younger girls. At one point I worked at a university and I would tell those girls all the time, what you're doing is amazing. But if you ever want to change your mind, if it's on your heart or if it's not going change, because you are not fixed to this, that decision you made at 18 when your brain wasn't all the way to developed, it can't, you don't have to live that. So I, I appreciate what you got going on <laughs> for sure. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I'll tell you, as well it's like this is a starting path this is your entry to interest right mm -hmm. but you have to do and so the more you do the more you show up the more you're involved you pick up different interests and then also you learn your different strengths and then you start to go in those different lanes and it's okay people change their mind all the time yeah also i love that you brought up that you um, started in public health because that is something that was not on my path originally either but being in science and learning that I still wanted to help people and health equity became a thing that I cared more about and I was like what I originally uh, applied to grad school to get my master's in exercise physiology so I could go be a practicing exercise physiologist but as much as I loved undergrad I knew that that was not I'm like do I really want to be an exercise physiologist do I want to do stress tests all day do I want to be in a cardiac rehab lab the answer was no um, so when I applied for grad school again, I also did public health. And as much as I enjoyed my program, it sounds like the program that you were in was very focused on, well, once you switched to like the community side of it and health equity. And I feel like I graduated literally during the pandemic. I was working at the health department like for an internship. And even with all that experience, I feel like the world of public health was changing as I was graduating, because now I feel like they're it seems like there are global health programs popping up at different universities. There are more community-based programs popping up. And even though my concentration was health promotion and like community outreach, still not the same. I think it could be definitely more robust. And I hope if they want to survey me, I'll let them know. But um, it's just interesting that public health has changed so much, even in the time that we've been in college. Yeah. And I think, too, the way that people look at public health degrees, because at the time, I was working in local government. And this is one of the biggest reasons why I changed my mind is because like if you are working in a local government health department, your job is to do things that align with local government's agenda. Mm -hmm. So it is not the space where you can galvanize and have grassroots solutions and try things out and like it's it's not as community focused is that I am an employee of the local government mm -hmm. and whether it is a mayor or a city manager or a governor that the work that I do is directly in alignment with what their agenda is. And there are so many limits around that. Mm -hmm. And I think that in the public health space, if you aren't specializing, you kind of get siloed into yeah. that and because it sounds like it's like oh I get to work for the Dallas Health Department like oh you know I love Dallas so it sounds closer to what you want it want to be but then you realize really fast like okay this isn't this yeah. isn't really 
<laughs> yeah, like I'm not helping my city the way I thought I would. Yeah. When I was doing my internship, I was over, it lined up that the girl who ran this program was going on maternity leave. So even though they were apprehensive about having an intern, they were like, well, you can low-key do her job. So I did. <laughs> um, and it was a program called Cribs for Kids. And we would do assessment, like safe sleep assessments with the parents. We would um, kind of give them some of the, a- the ABCs of sleep, the lone back crib. I know too much about baby sleep at this right. point. But anyway, so um, I would educate them on that. And then we would give them free pack and plays for the kids to sleep in and all that. But they were finding, or at least as part of my internship, they were trying to find a way that I could like do some do something that would fulfill my school need. So they had me tracking past program things. What they probably really needed was just for me to make the spreadsheet, but to fulfill my school things. I took the information that was on paper, put it in a spreadsheet of like past recipients, current recipients that I was dealing with, and I matched it to like census tract information to see where in theory the most need was, but where the cribs were. Of course, they were not lined up. And of course, our most needed areas were minority dense areas. And those were the women who did not know even know about this program. Know about the program. Didn't know about it all. And I tell people all the time. Not marketing it to them. Where do you Exactly. Like you want them to just like roll up? Get, look, that summer I swear I told every pregnant person I saw, I was like, girl, you better go get one of them free packing plays from the health department because they're not going to tell you that it's around. Because Which is so weird because you know with grant funding, if you don't spend the money or use the products, they will cut it down. So it's so bizarre that they don't market more. But again, it's by design and it's not an accident that those women didn't know. Right. But so from that, by the end of the summer, I created a whole PowerPoint of this is where you guys should market. This is where black women are. This is what they're doing. These are the people with the most need. I bet you if I went back to my hometown right now, they're not doing that. They, they probably and it's and so it's, just, it's this crazy is, this is the solution for the problem but like you said it is by design and for me that blew my mind because i felt like i was on such a hamster wheel it's like we mm-hmm. have the solution sitting like right here yeah but because they know and leadership knows that it doesn't align with whose agenda it is mm-hmm. it's like okay Let's keep doing this thing and make it seem like we're working so hard. Yeah. When we keep trying, it's like, oh my God, get me out of here. <laughs> yeah. And and it really is so awful because it it's disheartening. And that also so a part of my journey. I realized I was like, I don't want to work for local government. Because even though I don't think I ever had this well thought out thought that you're having or saying right now, but something about it, I knew that it was never going to produce the kind of change that I wanted to see in my hometown or anywhere that I went. And right. also, you know, the pay don't really match with what you're trying to do. Also, oh. further, <laughs> furthermore, I gave them the whole money play for free. So the fact that they're not using it is wild. But anyway. <laughs> like project, what yeah. I just hear. And it's, that was another thing that I noticed, too, was a lot of the people that worked there, they didn't live there. And so when we would mm-hmm. be having conversations, you know, like, I'm young and it's a couple other young people there. And so we we're, we're having conversations and they're like, I, I, I came here to get my check. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yikers! <laughs> Awkward. To city council meeting, or are y'all gonna do this? Or you know, like these community focused things, and they're like, "No, I'm no. going home." No, yeah. And I, I, I want to think that it's because they got into the system and realized the same thing, but they don't leave. I want to. I yeah. like to think that anyone who gets into public health originally, you wanted to help people. Yeah, I want to think that anyway. But I also realize that there is another disparity, just like in STEM, in in public health, there is not, there are not enough people who potentially grew up in the system that was affecting them that now want to see change. That is, it seems like a very white woman dominated space in white people, local government. Um, 
so then you have people who have never experienced potentially maybe homelessness, not to say that white people can't be poor, but y'all know, y'all know what I'm saying. You have people who maybe have never experienced a parent who had to sign up for food stamps or understand how hard it is, how, how public transportation is affecting people. Therefore, if it's hard for them to care because they just literally don't understand. But when you're working in a space or coming from the space of, I want to see change because I don't ever want nobody mama to have to go through what mine did. Or I don't ever want a kid to have to miss school because they didn't have a public transportation, public transportation system. When you don't, when you're not working from that space, I feel like it's very easy to, to think that you're just doing your job and that you're doing a good job at it when right. that's not the case. I definitely agree with that. I experienced that a lot when I was studying food security. Mm -hmm. Um, We talked about what a food desert is and the fact that it shouldn't take you a two hour bus ride, four hours round trip to go and get basic necessities, groceries. Mm -hmm. And then like, oh, well, there's this corner store right there. The point is, is that there is not affordable food options. So then you have these other little small stores and uh, corner stores Mm -hmm. that are able to skyrocket their prices out because they know that it is a need. But Mm -hmm. then it's just like, even if I wanted to get on the bus, why would I spend four hours just to go and make groceries that I'm going to struggle? Because it's like, don't forget that I have gone grocery shopping. So now I still need to bring them back on bus. Yes, and and you can't. A bus that drops you off in front of your house. We're talking about the bus stop that is nearest to your house. And now you have to walk. Yeah. It's not okay. It's not okay at all. Like, why... Why do we keep having to define this 30 different times for you to understand the concept of it not being okay? Not to mention that most underserved communities, uh, most people who live in underserved communities do not have four hours in their spare. No, at all, at all. Between time, lack of childcare, because what you going to do with your baby while you go grocery shopping for four hours? It's like, okay, when my kids are at school, I'm obviously at work. I'm not going to go grocery Mm -hmm. shopping dark because remember again I'm riding the bus and walking all of these different little factors and I feel like like you said for people who didn't grow up in it um I think in 2023 (laughs) with all of the internet and (laughs) on Beyonce's internet every it's just like I would much rather turn a blind eye and redirect my energy somewhere else I do agree with that also I I definitely agree with that I think that it too much internet and too much free Google for people to not understand. Cause I feel like you can explain this to you blue in the face. I remember right. very distinctly, I had a conversation a couple years ago while I was in grad school with my boss at the time. That was my boy, but he was a white man. And mm-hmm. there was a situation where they were giving out that. Va- so it definitely was during the pandemic. So it was, they were giving out vaccines and the job. So I did corporate wellness. I worked for a company that did other companies employee wellness programming. So I worked at a Honda plant, but I worked for somebody else. Anyway, Honda was offering vaccinations. Originally, they were doing it during work time, but then they changed it to like a weekend time slot. And he was like, oh, that's really awesome that they're providing it. And I said, I agree. That's awesome. But it's no longer accessible for some people, for anyone who gets a ride to work, anyone who maybe the way their budget works out, they can't. So where we worked was basically the the only thing in that city was that factory. So a lot of people came from like my hometown specifically to work there. I, I commuted 45 minutes for work. So even though the situation wasn't mine, I was fine on gas. But in theory, if you budgeted for five days a week, going back and forth, 45 minutes, Saturday might not be an option. 
might not be an option. And he was like, how is it not accessible? They're having it at the plant. I was like, but now they're taking it and putting it at a time that the majority of the population is not there. We went back and forth because he was just mindful. He was like, but they're offering it for free. And I was like, that's great. But they're specifically offering at a time when they know they don't have to give that many out because no one's going to drive here. They're like, well, if you want it, you would drive here. I'm like, yeah, maybe if you have a car and you have the extra time, like it wasn't clicking. It wasn't clicking. (laughs) Just don't. Oh, if they want it, they would do it. And it's just like, for some people, it really, even that statement alone, it really is not that. Mm-mm. Like, all of the other factors that go into, if you want it, you would do it. Yeah. And that is, like, the crux of, like, the problem I feel like that America has. When you could that just, people, that's, yeah. that's all. Yeah. Or, like, from there, that conversation then evolved into, like, me trying to explain accessibility and how, like, no one should have to travel. I use the example of a hospital. You should not have to travel more than, like, 20 minutes to get to a hospital. There are people who live miles and miles and miles from hospitals. And he's like, well, you can't have a hospital every mile. I'm like, you're being dramatic. One, two, right. that you're right. There's, there doesn't need to be a hospital every mile, but there are people living in, and it's funny because we live in a rural area. So I'm like, there are people who, older people specifically, who live in these far rural areas who need constant medical care and can't get it because it's so far away. And it, he, again, he was a white man and his white man was showing medical. And this is yeah. medical deserts. It's we talk and it's so it's wild because it's so hard to have such a simple conversation. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is simple. And then it turns into some grand, like, Oh, you can't have a hospital every mile. That's obviously yeah. not what I'm saying, but we all know 20 miles in a rural community is not accessible at all. And it's just, yeah, it's very frustrating. Similar to what you said about the food deserts, me and my boyfriend live in Orlando and we went downtown. Downtown Orlando is very, probably not unique, but we come from a small town, so I haven't been to too many big cities. But it's interesting the way downtown Orlando is set up because it is an up and coming city. There's like a extreme pocket, like where where the Orlando Magic play, where the soccer stadium is. But like in between each block, is the hood like it's you can tell that they are gentrifying the area very quickly but not consistently so like i said every other block it's different but we were walking from um from the soccer stadium and we were walking past this place i he probably was sick of me because i'm a (laughs) my next my next step in my public health journey, I feel like, is community development, urban planning. So I, I get a kick out of sidewalks. Yes, I'm very, because I think it's so interesting that something like food and sidewalks can dictate or let you know what the socioeconomics are like. And I was like, these people, and it's escalated, it's escalated price. So I'm like, it sounds good that they have fresh food and fresh produce on the sign. I was like, I bet you there's more liquor than anything. And I'm like, that just, just shows you where we are. Like as much money. And it's crazy because our stadiums are all within like, again, blocks of each other. You got Amway, you got where they play soccer. There's another stadium down there. Y'all got all of this. Y'all getting money. The, the city's getting money because we get people from out of town, but y'all not using that money in that community. The roads is messed up. Yeah. The, yeah. There's sidewalks, but it's patchy. So it's like, what are y'all doing with this money? What, what? Or like it just goes to show again they don't care because it's not a lack of funding. They have it. I know they got it. The magic might not be good, but we be at Amway. We be buying tickets. So I know that they got something going on. And they just. Right. 
one thing I learned in my community development program is like uh, the there's the combos. You always see combos of certain things. So if you see a liquor store, you probably also see a payday loan. Yeah, yes. Why people get that have five hundred percent interest, like five hundred percent interest on yes. a payday loan? It's just why. But then also this idea that in order for them to reinvest the dollars that they are making, they want to reinvest. Once it is completely dilapidated, so they can get it at the cheapest cost, so they can literally watch it run down, run down to bare bones. So when they come in and reinvest, they won't have to factor in the cost of just going into a neighborhood and purchasing something that you want to revitalize. Mm -hmm. It it's bizarre, and it it really is like. So there's a place down here called Amscot, and it's a payday loan place. I see because you know how Hulu and YouTube do geographically i see ads for it a lot and then i figured out what it was and i was like it's a whole bunch of these actually like i see them and again i see a lot of them closer to downtown and like those general areas and i'm like that's crazy like i pass several if i go home a certain way i go through a different part of town my job is not where i'm about 25 minutes the opposite way of my house anyway if i go home a certain way and don't take the highway i pass several am am scots and i'm like i see what y'all doing here and it's so unfortunate because again when you don't have the resources, you really do turn to things like that. And it's just so unfair because it's like a weird like mousetrap. Y'all know the, the people, the mice are here. So you're like, perfect. We'll just put the cheese right here. They have no choice but to take it. And it's just, right. it's unfair because you, it's dirty. Y'all, I know what y'all doing. And like, there's not one by me. Like there probably is one Amscot in my general area, but like, y'all know what y'all doing. And it, it may be out of Walmart. It's probably not visible. Yeah. It's not on for sure yeah so it is really wild like once you really start to pay attention to the different things and those moments really help me be okay with changing my trajectory because mm-hmm. it's like I know that it was something bigger than what I thought I was going to do mm-hmm. that I would actually be doing yeah. um but yeah it's, it's wild out here yeah in the, it's d- the fight continues the fight continues Yes. So since we've got our, I'm glad I had someone, I feel like I've had so many amazing women on here and doctors and different things like that. One of the doctors, I think she had um, a master's in public health, obviously she's a doctor now. So it's there. I don't ever get to engage with other women in public health <laughs> like this. So like my sister, she's always talking about like, you are so like, she loves my passion, but obviously she ain't in public health. So it's like different for her. Right. So it's like a one-sided conversation. So this is wonderful, but we're going to get back. <laughs> we're going to get back to black to the lab. <laughs> So I love, I love it. I enjoy the, I, I enjoy it. And I think the people will too, of course, but let's see. I'm a little list of questions here. We talked a lot about how we got here and I love that. Um, so when you were in college, even though you changed your, changed your major, decided not to go into pharmacy along the way, did you have women in STEM that you feel like you could look up to Were there other, Oh, you went to HBCU. So there are probably a lot of other black girls in your, in your uh major but prior to that you know know what um it's a fair assumption but surprisingly the answer is no um in my when i was a biology major uh there was a lot of us Mm -hmm. there's a lot of uh black students there's a lot of minority students uh the professors there are a lot of black professors and i think that people automatically assume like oh you want to hbcu like everybody's gang Mm -hmm. (laughs) But then when I switched over to chemistry, there are not a lot of us. And I was sharing this on the last podcast I was on. And I need to get my graduation book to verify the numbers. (laughs) 
But I know in my graduating class, I was one. One of one. Oh. It was six of us who graduated and I was the only black girl. And I need to go back and look at my graduation book to see like the semester prior how many it was yeah. in the larger group. But even then, I know it was not a lot of black African Americans. So yeah. we have a lot of um Africans, a lot of international students, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. But black women, no, not majoring in chemistry. Um, and even when I think about like my black professors, there there are some a lot of black women, but I just don't think that the interests were the same. Yeah. Um, so I think of some of my favorite black women in the department, like Dr. Block, like um, she was our department head at the time. It it was so wild because recently. I was uh, attending a virtual honeypot event Mm. and she was the speaker. And this was the first time that I got a chance to hear her speak from a very feminine perspective. Like, and I think that she kind of reared us, you know, like in the industry to kind of stand tall, like as a black person and to not focus so much on uh, just like the things that people would point out that made you less than, Mm -hmm. um, because she was very like she was small but she was mighty like she was very very mighty and so when i listened to this panel this was probably about um maybe a couple months ago or it was sometime last year and i'm listening to this panel and i'm seeing the woman in her come out and i was just like so floored but also at the same time i'm just like i wish that we had a space for you know for this Mm -hmm. when when i was in school Mm -hmm. and i hope that they are cultivating this space now um and now they have like pv women in stem and those were things that were kind of on the edge of when i was graduating and people are okay with creating these silos of being a woman Mm -hmm. and pointing out the differences of being a woman. Uh, I think like, like the engineering department, they were really good. They had a lot of student organizations, um, a lot of female leaders, and it was kind of more of like this curated space. But then when you go over to the science side of it, it wasn't mm-hmm. as curated. It was like everybody has their head down trying to become a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like sometimes you need a space just to breathe, mm-hmm. just to be, just to share. Um, I remember being so afraid to share that I did not want to go to pharmacy school anymore. Um, I remember that feeling of people who were originally um, in my corner just kind of shifting over because it's just like okay well my job is to support school students that are going to professional school and you aren't going to professional school so you know like I have to regain my attention and I had one professor um Dr. Moore he was our microbiology professor and he was the professor that sat me down and was just like hey we aren't doing this anymore but how can I help you with you know, what it is that you want to do. And then, of course, my very first professor, who was also a black man, like he was, Dr. Brown was a G. So at any point, Dr. Brown wanted to see us successful. And he would always tell us that his most successful students, they were not the A students. They were the students who had Bs and Cs, but they were involved. They had great personalities. They knew how to talk to people. They were engaged. They were well-versed. They were in their community. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would share that with us all the time. And so I think that he was probably one of my biggest inspirations and then Dr. Moore and then Dr. Block. Um, but yeah, definitely not a, a feminine, a black feminine space for sure. And I hope that they have that now. Yeah. You know what? Honestly, the moment you said 
yeah, that's a good assumption. I was like, you know what? What's crazy is that I know better. I know that a lot of Black girls are not in STEM. That's literally why we're here right now. But also just knowing what I know about, I feel like growing up culturally, again, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this one here yet, but y'all, me and Kristen are the same age. So that being said, growing up in our generation and kind of parents that I know a lot of us had, you weren't about to just casually get a chemistry degree unless you knew what you were doing with it. As much as they, I feel like it was more so, so many of our parents didn't know like what to do with some of these degrees other than be like doctors and lawyers. So the, yes. Yeah. So the moment you decided, like for you specifically, I'm glad you had a supportive family and I did as well when I changed my major, but the moment you decide you're not going to pharmacy school or doctor school anymore, it's like, so what you doing? Who money you wasting? Because <laughs> so, so what are you saying? Yeah, no, for real. So what are you saying exactly? And that doesn't surprise me because I feel like this goes back to like a deeper disparity. I feel like so many black women, we all go to college and we're doing the things, but at the same time, some of us come from schools where we didn't have AP classes and didn't have certain things. So then you get to college and you might've excelled, but you didn't have this level of coursework. And I think it kind of unfortunately weeds maybe some of us out or you get to a point where like, you know, I'm going to just drop out because it's hard and we weren't exposed to it early enough. Um, I know that was the case for me. I went to a school, looking back, which is so funny because my mom did her very best, sent me to one of our better schools in the city. And, but looking back, we had one AP class and it was AP English, which I took, didn't score high enough on the exam. So it didn't, it didn't, it did me no purpose. Anyway, I digress. Um, I didn't have any of those things or like, or I did really well in chemistry and physics in high school. But my teacher was an idiot. So when I got to college and I actually had to take physics and chemistry, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And it's crazy because I excelled in high school. So it was just, again, a real eye opener. But also looking back now, obviously hindsight 2020, I wasn't adequately prepared. I wasn't adequately prepared to be a biology pre-med major at a university that also was accelerated, not time-wise, but like I didn't have to take a whole bunch of gen eds. When you came in bio pre-med, I immediately started biology, chemistry, all of that. Um, our school is known for pharmacy and we have a, instead of being like a four plus two program, when you get accepted to the university, you are in pharmacy school and like yeah. you're locked in. So great school. But I, again, I wasn't ready for it. And I feel like that's the case for a lot of black women. Unfortunately, we go to college, we do the things, but then some of these, some of these things we are not adequately prepared for. And it just a glaring light on a bigger issue of public schools. I could definitely get on a rant about public schools, but yeah, public <laughs> Public school is so interesting because it's it's similar to what we were having a conversation about local government, mm -hmm. right? Like at some point, these teachers who are extremely passionate and want to see all of these things happening are working mm -hmm. against a system, like working against this big wall. And um, oddly enough, I like to brag on my high school despite what in our community says or you know anybody in the state of texas says is that we were in our high school at a very unique time and um it's unfortunate that that time has passed and i just hope to see like this type of revolutionary love kind of come back to education but at the time we were in high school our pro our um high school had a magnet program and so we were a medical magnet and you mm. had two tracks and I remember the young ladies prior to us, their medical magnet classes were maybe about like six, seven, eight. And for us, we, we're like three groups of 24 where we are like deep. Mm -hmm. 
And those experiences alone are what really prepared me. Like you are going to be a professional student. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were not like, they were not lenient. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we wore scrubs to school every single day. Um, I think at, by the time we made it to senior year, we convinced them to give us one free dress day <laughs> on Fridays, but we wore scrubs to school every single day. Even the days we weren't doing clinical rotations, our junior and senior year, we were able to do clinical rotations. We spent half the day at the hospital. And then your second year, you got a chance to decide whether you wanted to go nursing or pharmacy route, and you would spend half a day either at the hospital or nursing home or at a retail pharmacy or hospital Mm -hmm. pharmacy. And I feel like that timing was just so unique because while it wasn't what I was going to do long-term, it really showed me how to be about my business. Mm -hmm. And we took dual credit. We had AP. AP was a, the AP testing was a requirement. If you were in the AP class, you had Mm -hmm. to take the AP. You had to take the PSAT every year. These were things that um, our district was able to get all these different type of funding for. And it was like you had to do these things. And so while we had to do these things, I do think that we missed a little opportunity to kind of have like those personalized conversations mm-hmm. around like inside of this really, really, really big healthcare engine, there are little segues that you will be able to segue off into and so while we are showing up in mass numbers in this program having those side conversations to say okay here's what will happen when you leave and go do your thing and here's what will happen when you leave and go do your thing um but it it, because they didn't we were moving like as little you know like robots it's like okay nurse or pharmacist nurse or pharmacist and it's just like whatever you do after this that's on you (laughs) i don't know (laughs) But also understanding the limit in just like educators, because if you are a pharmacist, the likelihood that you will be an educator is slim Mm -hmm. because I can make more money being a pharmacist than I have to deal with anybody's kids. And we'll go into these professional spaces. Um, Sometimes the partnerships weren't as cohesive. Even when we took dual credit, we took dual credit through the local university. Um, And even like our professors, we were talking about white professors having to teach to a group of black girls and just like those little Mm -hmm. pieces where we would have to kind of understand that this is a little glimpse of the real world, but you should probably be having a side conversation and preparing for the next set of the real world things but just the experience of high school is really what made me go to college and feel like I could do the thing it is the experience in high school that prepared me to be able to pledge like as a freshman and like I knew what I was doing I knew how to program I knew how to fundraise I knew how to solicit sponsors and donors like that was one thing that our school was big on it's like if we didn't have it they taught us how to ask for it like these different little things that you can't teach someone who thinks they're an adult already um because i see that happen often it's just like oh well i don't have i don't have the money for this so i'm just not doing it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if god said it's for me the provisions are in alignment Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. and my high school taught me to do that like i was an all-american cheerleader i went to uh, had the opportunity to go to london and like the classes before me you know they would get their all-american status and would feel like oh my god this is too expensive and then my high school is like no this is how you write a donor letter this is how you who you're gonna send it to this is what you're gonna say to make these things happen and when you go and just like 
implement that same structure mm-hmm. on a collegiate level, then you become the standout. Mm-hmm. But also, you have this academic world, like you said, where you feel unprepared. And it's really not because you're unprepared. It's because you the lack of support. The support no longer exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the rest of the world around you, even in, in Black spaces, it, it becomes like a competition. Yes. And that I was not used to. Mm-hmm. So while I felt like I was very prepared, I was not used to my counterparts or my peers um, being so competitive. Yes. It was just like, well, how did she get this? Or how did she do that? And it's just like, I mean, I could put all, we could all, we could all be eat. up on game. Right. <laughs> like, we could all write letters. Like, I could show I, y'all. Yeah, and it's like I always shared that. And then when I started to learn about some other people's um, high school experiences and how it was very doggy dog, mm-hmm. and that's where that perception kind of came from yeah. and not having support, not having um, college counselors or having advisors that really supported them and rooted for them. Like, my high school counselor is my godmom. Oh. And I if she was going to have to drag us through, she was going to drag us through. Like, we would have so many come to Jesus meetings where she's like, class of 11, to the auditorium, okay. <laughs> getting us together. Because what is what is the problem? Um, and I see that now it's missing. And, and yeah. I don't think that it's because teachers don't want to do it. I think that there are so many walls, mm-hmm. right? The lack of parental support um like you have the state agenda then you have school district agenda lack of resources lack of funding lack of teachers yeah. like so many different where at, at this point everybody's like i am just here so i do not get fired yeah it's just like i wish that it was a little bit more personalized yeah. how when we were in school i agree your high school sounds awesome and <laughs> it was it was a little crazy on some days, but it was an experience. Yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing. But yeah, it really is a lack of support. I do I do believe that as well. And then for some people, like so, I live in Florida now, but I only been here. I haven't even been here a year yet. I'm from Ohio, so I okay. went to a predominantly white K through twelve school, and then I went to PWI. And not only did I feel like I not I didn't have support in the sense of teachers that looked like me. I had one teacher that was black, black woman, and sometimes I forget that I did have her as a teacher because she is the mother of a friend. So sometimes I'm like, I didn't have no black teachers and I'll be with her daughter. She was like, girl, my mom was your teacher. I'm like, but I see, I still see your mom to this day. So like your her being my teacher didn't really like sit with me. Like her is my teacher, but I did have one black teacher. But other than that, I did not. And I did not have a school counselor who really gave a crap about what I had going on. As far as like, I was a high achiever. I was a good student and I knew I was going to college. When it was time to fill out college applications, I received no help from like faculty on, yeah, you smart, but where am I going to get the money from? Because what I was was smart. What I was not was rich. And the support was just not there. I don't know if it was the assumption that I wasn't going to succeed at that school, even though I got early admission. I don't know. I don't know what it was, but I did not have that support. And then it does translate to college for a lot of people, because even though we're all the same university now, we did not all come from the same kind of spaces. And that that scarcity mindset that you were kind of talking about is uh-huh. that starts at home. That starts in, uh-huh. in your community of seeing there's not enough to go around. And it's unfortunate that it manifests in different ways, but what it is is scarcity. You don't think there's enough for everybody. And it's unfortunate because I do feel like I saw that a lot when I was at not only in college, but when I worked at a university, those girls were bright. They were beautiful. They wanted to help each other, but then there was always that slight, Hey, I'm from Cleveland and I got to get it how I get it. I can't, I can't help you. Or 
that's cool that you're president, but nah, sorry, I can't. And it's like, I know you can help that girl. <laughs> but they that oh yes. That brought tears to oh. my eyes. <laughs> because it's true. Um, and I I don't I, I was we were raised what is for you is always, always. for you. So when I think about my friend group, it's like, okay, I was the president. My best friend was my vice president. My other friend was secretary. My other friend was treasurer. Like it was, we all did these things, but then we had those spaces that we knew were for for specific people. So we had like our girlfriends who were dancers. So if it's something dance related, like this is your space, I'm coming behind you. And then we had the rest of us who were cheerleaders and it's like, okay, this is your space. I'm supporting behind you. But it we never had the tight to chest. It was mm-hmm. if it was a scholarship application, we sit down, we all fill it exactly. out. Whoever gets as long as somebody gets mm-hmm. it. And so to see it, you see it today in a lot of spaces mm-hmm. where it's it's just like every everybody is just withholding, yeah. um, not sharing because of that scarcity mindset. Because uh, I may I'm, I may not get it, I want it, I need it. But when I tell you what's for you, It'll it never will never. You. It will never pass you mm-hmm. by. And I don't think enough people believe that as much as you hear that in so many different spaces there, that scarcity will beat out any positive thoughts you might have, because truly mm-hmm. there have been opportunities that I just knew, like, I'm going to do this. And when you don't get them, you're obviously hurt. Like example, when I didn't get into grad school the first time, I even felt in the moment that I was fake crying. Cause I was like, low key, this just, it wasn't for me. I didn't want to do it anyway, <laughs> right. but it, and not enough people believe that true from me for a reason. And when you when you get what's yours, you're gonna be like, oh, this is exactly yeah, it's exactly what you needed, huh? <laughs> I would I would have submitted a long time ago, <laughs> but yeah, right. it's hard. We got our worldly thoughts, obviously, so it's hard. But right. a lot again, a lot of people. If I would have known, this that. is where I was. Going. I Another thing that like I want to get into, you kind of touched on this, was that um, space is held for girls specifically in STEM and universities, and. Yeah. While so this is I'll just say what I gotta say. Anyway, while I do believe that like universities are doing better about helping students curate that space, I'm often afraid from what I saw while working in higher education that they leave the onus on those children, because they are still children, to then do the work of holding those spaces together. They don't always get a lot of funding for like their groups or a lot of faculty involvement so then you got the university hanging its hat on oh yeah we have this great girls group that we have for black girls like when you come here you can join that group y'all don't actually know nothing about this group and y'all are leaving it to 19 20 year olds to hold down a space for their peers and while peer-led groups are great i feel like sometimes universities can kind of wiggle and kind of cheat the system by not actually providing those students with like in-class support or university sponsored things as opposed to, oh yeah, we got this, this, what's it called? Affinity group. Yeah. And it's, it's just tricky because sometimes I'm very worried that like, so with some of those things, when a certain group of students leave, the whole, the whole group is over and it's like, or whatever, because mm-hmm. it's been ran by students for so long. Like they don't always know how to do certain things. So then the group falls apart and then what does the university do to, to fix that? But I do like that you saw those groups coming together more in STEM because I really don't know anybody with, I don't think I know anybody with a chemistry degree. Two of my best friends from college, because I went to a pharmacy school, they're all pharmacists. They're all they're all doing great. But again, I can count on my hand the number of Black girls that were in, in not only my graduating class, but that I went to school with, period. So 
And and I think that also presents a challenge in and of itself because that was the first time that I noticed that all the black girls weren't trying to see each other win. And it's crazy now as adults, we all follow each other each other on social media, support. Like some of them follow this uh, Instagram page. We ain't talked in years. But when we, when we were at college and had the opportunity to foster something, probably it was very we must have all been the token black girl at our school because we all, I think, came with that same token idea. Like, oh, I'm the high achieving black girl. Who are you? Like, and it, it didn't, we didn't mesh. <laughs> you, surprisingly, that exists at uh, HBCUs as well. I, that's a girl I'm thing. Tokenism. I am here to, you know, be myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I agree with you about universities. And I feel like universities do this with um, Greek life as well, where they don't provide support, mm-hmm. they don't buy into it. But the moment that it is something for them to kind of gain off of, then they lean into mm-hmm. it. And sometimes I'm not sure if they are not sure how to support, but but then I think in my mind, like, I guess you could always just ask. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I think, too, the biggest issue, like you said, is that once this group of you know, vibrant students who had all this passion to start it. Once they graduate, then the group kind of falls by the wayside. There's no retention plan. Mm -hmm. There's not an advisor who is spearheading it to continue to recruit and different things like that, or even to advise them like, hey, you have a great group of girls now, but you should be recruiting um, to move forward. And also, because I, I think about this often, using these groups to segue school recruitment mm-hmm. right when you go out and you talk to different um students what i've noticed in extension because i worked for university as well so i'm just like where we are we twins we are. <laughs> like, um is when i would see the recruiters that would come out it's like the recruiters don't look like people who go to the university mm-hmm. they are you know often uh seasoned which we appreciate their commitment as a recruiter but i feel like you should never recruit without a current student with you yes like ever, you should never show up without current students. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the the people that these students see, and they like, oh, you know, like yeah. I know this, or they look like me, or mm-hmm. I can follow them on on Instagram after this and kind of see their experience and different things like that. But these affinity groups will be perfect ways to segue not only recruitment but even funding. So if we say, um, if universities were to say for academic affinity groups that we will set aside a certain amount of money for a person who comes that you recruit so that when you go out and recruit and you can say like, Oh, we have an opportunity for you to receive a scholarship. Mm -hmm. You know, if you join our group and major in this specific thing, then you could, you know, get a scholarship. Because for me, even with black to the lab, a lot of these affinity groups are following me. Like I just had a message from um, a STEM affinity group at Alcorn. And so I'm just like, Oh my God. Like, because they are seeing people Mm -hmm. like, like, oh, this young lady who is black, who went to an HBCU. And so these are great tools to show students that when you come to this university, this is like the first leg of what support mm-hmm. looks like. Mm-hmm. And then you join this group and you start to recycle that method, recycle that method. Um, and I remember it, that brought me back to when we were in college. We start, we tried to start like this Women's Presidents Council. Um And I was inspired by the NPHC Council at the time, the NPHC Council of like the national presidents. Mm -hmm. And I would see like all of the national presidents of all of the NPHC organizations Mm -hmm. together. And I used to be like, that is power. Mm -hmm. Like that right there is power. And so we were trying to start a women's leadership council where we would get together all of the women presidents um, 
and just kind of have conversations about like what's happening or what's going on or how to ask for certain things or how to, and it's just never, you know, it, it never really stood up too well. I think we may have done one event that we were trying to do collaboratively and kind of invite different people, but we were also trying to talk about uh, leadership because at the time, um, I was the regional representative for our sorority, which is like the second highest in command in your region. Mm-hmm. And then we also had the assistant director for Alpha, which is the same position, but Alpha's different title. And then we had a young lady who served on the collegiate board for AKA. And so we were like, oh, this is super unique. Like you have these sorority leaders here on this campus. Like how can we make sure that this kind of keeps happening? Um, But in an organic type of way. And we never really got a chance to like make it real robust. But like you said, because once the person who's passionate about it transitions out Mm -hmm. and the university isn't saying like, hey, because as a university, that is something I would want to stand behind that, our Greek organizations produce national leaders in these organizations. And, oh, if you have questions, here are some of our former students who are national leaders and different things like that. And sometimes I would just chalk it up to, like, maybe they just don't get it. Maybe they don't understand. You know, like, I don't know. But you could always learn, (laughs) is what I always I agree. They could learn. I think part of it really stems from the fact that they, if they acknowledge that the group exists and is doing well or supported it that the support would eventually need to come with money at least that's what they think they're going to include a faculty advisor like hey maybe we should maybe pay that person a little extra advisor yeah and i don't think they'd be trying to do that for real i I really i personally think it's really just a money issue because they definitely will rally behind it when when they can get some shine off of it the time that i worked at a university it was a contract position i was my my title was well-being support manager so i basically just did uh programming related to well-being general well-being and I was able to target a specific population. Me being who I am, I immediately went after our Black students, our Black female students. And the university, they helped me in the sense that, like, with marketing, if I needed materials, I never had to, like, pay for them or anything. But I swear one of my checking in on day-to-day, but when they realized how well this group was, the, the programming that I was doing was doing, then it was, let's feature her on, like, the employee website. And all like, that's funny because y'all could also, or irrespective of trying to honor me just give us some give these students money or furthermore the position that I have was a contract do something to keep my job right when that contract was up there was it was sorry okay well okay. see you later Bye. yeah Bye. And, and it could be something as small as making sure that you do things to not only retain the students retain faculty because I feel like so often these kids get in these spaces if you don't find an affinity group that you like or if you're more introverted or whatever that's something that affects retention and y'all mm-hmm. swear y'all want retention and you want graduates but y'all aren't doing the things to foster that hiring black faculty hiring multicultural faculty that match these kids that then they're like at least there's someone here who cares because it's so easy to get lost in one of those i worked at um, a, a big state school so like you can get lost so easily and then often by the time we got to the end of the semester the kids are talking about how like how hard it is as a black student there because they just didn't feel like they had to support as much as they loved all of our black staff and faculty them kids would be in my office girl they would (laughs) love them but they were like that's not enough like we got y'all some of y'all teach subjects that we aren't even we're not even in that major so major so how am I going to get support so they would go out of their way to come find us and then it's one of those now I'm doing double duty not me really my job really was for student engagement but these other professors like faculty they doing double duty because now they also playing counselor they playing advisor because these kids don't trust their academic advisors or what have you and it 
it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Yes. And really, I really do think the problem is money. And not that they don't have it, once again, that they don't want to spend it. Because God forbid they cater to multicultural minority students. Yeah, I agree. When I would think about the commitment from our advisors, like our sorority advisors, our affinity group advisors, I'm just like, this is it's the extra part of the job and they do not get paid for it. Mm-mm, they don't. And again, you have to, they stay in there because they're committed. And I love that. But again, pay these folks, pay these teachers, college and under. But I digress. So I got two more questions. The first one is, I want to give you some space, Floor, tell the people what products you guys produce and where they can get them. Awesome. So Black to the Lab, um, like mentioned earlier, it's a STEM educational learning toy. So we have our cosmetic chemistry activity kit. This is the kit that allows students to explore what it's like to formulate their own beauty products. It includes a lab book, all of the things that you would get inside of the lab. We really wanted to lean into having equipment that replicated actual science equipment so that they can start to connect the dots between what may be happening in their classroom or what's happening in in an actual lab to what they're experiencing at home. Um, And then we also have our vocabulary cards, again, reintroducing vocabulary, photos, and graphics in a way where you can say like, oh, I saw this flask in a lab, Mm -hmm. and now I know what it's used for, and I know how it's used in the cosmetic chemistry setting. Um, And then occasionally we do some interchangeable merchandise. So right now we have our really popular Black Girls Belong in the Lab sweatshirt. It allows uh, other Black women who are in the industry to support the movement um, and to really just amplify the messaging around what Black to the Lab stands for. In the future, we hope to include more activity kits, and we do a lot of in-school activations. So this is something that people typically may not know if they go straight to our website, but if they follow us on social media, um, we really, really pride ourselves on being able to get in person with young girls so that they can experience this activation, learn more about what it's like being a cosmetic chemist, learn more about the industry, and just learn how interchangeable some of the different careers around cosmetic chemistry are. So we have young girls where where it's, okay, I may not be interested in STEM per se, but there are careers that stem from the STEM field. (laughs) You have formulators, but then you also have People who do marketing and design, yeah. you have engineers who are engineering the actual bottles and packaging that these products go inside of. You have science communicators mm-hmm. that are communicating the effectiveness of different ingredients and formulas, how things work, the safety, all these different things. And these are careers that are a part of the cosmetic chemistry industry. And so I think that once young people experience them mm-hmm. as a career, then it allows them to see themselves in that space. And our goal is to really start to direct them into mm-hmm. introducing them to other people who are doing this type of work mm-hmm. and how they can get involved in the industry as well. I love that. You got, Next weekend, are you having something, a workshop next weekend? Yes, this weekend. Actually, okay. we're having a workshop on Saturday. Yeah, okay. this Saturday we're having a workshop where students will be able to come and formulate their own soap. So for Easter, we wanted to do a spring workshop. Our workshops also help us do activities that we can't quite package mm-hmm. just yet. Um, so it, they can experience something hands-on without us trying to figure out, okay, we can't ship this, isn't mm-hmm. shippable or different things like that, but they get the experience of being in the lab. So we'll, we're doing that this Saturday. I have been getting so many comments, so many emails that are like, well, when are you coming to this area, this area? So hopefully we can expand to other areas outside of Dallas for our activations um, soon. We have gone to Virginia, 
Uh, we've gone to Washington, D.C. So it's possible. We're just trying to plan it out and make sure that our team is ready yeah. for that. Um, and then we do some vending events as well where people can come out and shop Black to the Lab in person. So we've done some of those with Macy's. Yeah, I saw that. So it's it's been a journey. It's been super exciting. Um, and I'm loving literally every every bit of it good that's awesome and i'm i'm hoping that you can expand to do more of this and again this all seems like divine timing and the funding will come that being said is there a space on your website where people can donate to the cause if they would like or should they just buy merch oh so two ways that they can uh they can send us an email and then we'll send them to donate and also, they can buy merchandise to support. And then sometimes we have people who purchase kits, and then they'll send us a note that they purchased the kit and that we can gift it to someone who may be in need. And then we also have a space. Uh, when you email us, we send back a, a link for our donors and sponsors for people who want to sponsor activation. So you can actually sponsor a classroom activation. Um, you can sponsor a group activation for like a community group. Or if you're just like, hey, I don't really care who gets it, but I just want to support and make sure that other black girls can experience it. Um, we're able to do that as well. I love all of that. And I'll make sure to put your, the Black to the Lab email in the show description because I don't know who listens. We're still growing, but it, it'll it touch who it needs to touch. And I yeah. hope that we can, you know, find some, some more things. Because again, this all, people love to see stuff like this. And I think sometimes not knowing how they can support maybe is what stops them. So yeah. hopefully by explaining, like, yeah, you can, or like for me personally, I do have some little girls in my life that I want to purchase these for, but sometimes people don't know any little girls. They're like, well, what can I do? Buy it and just let them know, send it to anybody. Like, I don't right. care. So yes, I would definitely be sure to include that. And I also want me a Black to the Lab hoodie. So, because uh, <laughs> I love crewnecks and I was like, I should buy it so I can have it for the show. It seemed one extra and I didn't think I was going to get it fast enough. So, <laughs> and stay tuned for future episodes because that's something that I also want to do. Anyone who has merch or just black businesses, period. There's a girl that I want to interview, um, Black Woman on a Mission. I'm sure you probably. Oh my God. I love her. I want, I, ooh, I want to interview her so bad. <laughs> but. It's a warehouse, and I'm like, fan girl, and I'm like, okay, what's your beginning number? Yeah. Like, oh, y'all buy each other? Yes. We're in the <laughs> warehouse space. So I, I love that. Like, I have to go and visit her. Yes. I have to go visit her. Me. Tell her I said, hey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she was, she's really awesome. Oh she my is. She, so, she seems so incredibly sweet. And now she got them two twins on the way. I got to support the girls. So definitely want to get some of her merch, but I want to wear it. So like these, uh, no, I know you can't see what I got on right now. So I got to do better about my setup, but I would love for my YouTube videos to come out. Like, Hey, I'm listening to this black woman, but also I'm wearing this black woman, go shop her stuff. So that's a goal moving forward. But yeah, I'll definitely make sure to include that information. And that brings us to our final question. <laughs> this one is something that I ask everyone and I like to ask it um, with no forewarning. So that being said, the question is, if you could tell your younger self, younger Kristen, anything about maybe your personal journey or just general life advice, like, girl, I know at five, seven, 15, I needed someone to tell me this. I'm a firm believer in being the kind of person, the kind of adult that you may have needed in your life as a kid. That is something that as a as an adult that's one of the pillars i guess i live my own life by trying to be the kind of person that could be a positive impact on a child like myself so for you what would that advice be oh no 
Don't win. Don't cry. Don't cry. And see, this. so part of it, why a reason I like to ask people this is because I do want this, not reaction. I don't want people to cry. But just because, like, if you know about it, you might come up with something very sterile to say. Whereas hearing it, you know, like, yeah, no, I, this is what I needed. This this is yeah. what I needed. Oh, <laughs> I, I would I would definitely tell her to just keep going, you know, like um, losing a parent, kind of navigating through college as a first generation college student and, you know, going from being like a super ac- excelling academically and then having different struggles and having all of these different passions and being misunderstood. And I just needed to hear to keep going. Like a lot of times I always heard like, you just need to slow down. Like, you just need to slow down. But I really needed somebody to say, keep going. Yeah. I, I love that. And I would agree with that. I feel like that's something on a personal, more probably adult level. I feel like sometimes I struggle. I have so many big ideas and so many things that I want to do. And sometimes the way this anxiety and depression is set up, I kind of lose my way. Or I'm like, is it worth it? Should I do it? And I'm finding now as an adult, that's something I would love to hear more often. Just keep going. Keep What you're yeah. doing is important. Stop keep going. Thinking. It in exaggerated, yeah. like the pieces fall where they may mm-hmm. when you keep going. Yes, exactly. Just keep going. Keep keep cold emailing people about your random podcast. Keep doing whatever it is that you do because it especially if it feels right. If it's in your spirit, if it's on your heart, there's a reason why it's there and you just gotta keep going because the outcome will be so so great. One of the things that my therapist often tells me, she's like, I know, I got to keep working with you. I've been in therapy for three years <laughs> with the me? same woman. <laughs> oh, I love, my- love my therapist. And one of the things that she, obviously, you know, your therapist wants to say, I'm not your friend, blah, blah, blah. Low key, she loved me. And I say this because she often is like, we got to keep working together. I've seen you blossom into a woman that I know is going to do great things. So mm-hmm. and she's like, we're going to keep working together until until it's out there because she's she's like you're gonna be one of the the clients that i talk about like oh i had her in therapy i'm gonna see you on a right? TED talk i'm gonna see <laughs> yeah i'm gonna see you on a ted talk i'm gonna see you being the dean of something that uh, she is hell-bent on me getting my doctorate and going back to be an educator which is something that i do want to do but she's like i know i'm gonna see you there and i'm gonna be like you know what i was there i was there along the way so and i think part of it is because she realizes that i'm passionate about what i'm doing and that mm-hmm. I got a voice that needs to be heard. So, so yeah, keep going. Everybody, if you got nothing else out of this interview, if you made it to one hour seven, because it is right there. So thank you. I think this is the perfect, perfect oh. spot to cap it off. Yes. I'm going to close the show. Like thank that. you so much for yes. Was awesome. I was glad you think so. And I'm glad to have had you. One of the things that I think is divine intervention, divine timing is that I really do just be out here emailing random people. And I'm like, if they reply, they reply. And if they do, we gonna, I'm going to make it do what it do. We're going to have a good interview because it, it was for me. It was meant for me. And I think that's not an accident that I saw Black to the Lab on my Instagram. So, yeah. Yay. And it's good to know that our ads work. Oh, <laughs> they sure do. They're reaching your target audience. I'm here. <laughs> Absolutely, they are. Okay, so I'm going to close like I always do, and then I'll stop the recording, and we can chat for a second. So anyway, (laughs) if you liked what you heard and would like to hear more from me and other Black women professionals in the future, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, turn on your notifications, and leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Audible. And like I be telling y'all, if it didn't give five-star energy, email me first, and let's talk about it. (laughs) And then as always, share the show with the Black woman you love.
You can keep up with me and the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at Change Our Outcomes. If you want to send me show ideas or talk about how we can improve the show or whatever, you just want to say, hey, you can email me at changeouroutcomes at gmail.com. If you'd like to keep up with Kristen and Black to the Lab, you can find her on Instagram at Black to the Lab and Chris, K-R-I-S underscore the daughter. And as always, thank y'all for your support, the unwavering support. I got a strong little group who y'all listen to every episode and I appreciate you endlessly. And if no one has told you today, Black girl, you are brilliant. Black girl, you can be anything you put your mind to. And Black girl, you are loved. Thank you for listening. Thank you.